also want to be participants in the resurrection. And so, Lord, for uh, all that is in store for your people uh, through this word, I pray that it strengthens them as, Lord God, I serve them in your name, the name of Jesus, and all the people of God said, amen, amen. So, my friends, we have been uh, gathered together over the course of the last several weeks uh, throughout the month of uh, April. We have been enjoying and journeying into this sermon series entitled, uh, Speak to the Mountain. And I pray that it's been a blessing for you as much as it has been uh, a blessing for me to encourage you uh, from God's Word. Uh, If you've missed any of the sermons within the series, you can certainly pick them up uh, on our podcast uh, through the church website. I would invite you to do that uh, for sure also. And uh, next week, uh, beginning with May, hard to believe that it's May already, uh, we're embarking starting upon a new sermon series entitled restoring balance. And I think that's something that we all need to uh, hear about. We need to consider and reflect upon that whole idea of of how is it that we achieve as followers of Jesus Christ balance in a very chaotic and uh, unbalanced world, if you will. So God has given us a level of power as we were singing about this morning, break the chains, God has given us a level of power to speak to the mountains that are in our lives. So at the beginning of the month, on April the 8th, uh, we asked, why bother with the mountains that are in our lives altogether? Because Jesus wants us to take these mountains on, to, to, to bother them, to, to, to deal with them, to to get past whatever hindrance they might be in our walk with Him as we serve our Savior and are a blessing to others. Uh, When we want to give up, when we want to throw in the towel, Jesus comes to us asking us to give up what is second best or what is broken in our lives. Uh, Then on April the 15th, uh, Brother Tom Ledford uh, was with us here Uh, from the pulpit, speaking on how to move your mountains, and through what we discovered there, it is a a twofold combination of prayer and fasting is the way that we can move our mountains, of course. So um, I encourage all of us to participate in those spiritual disciplines of prayer, of course, yes, and also fasting as the Lord uh, so, so leads us to do. Then on April the 22nd, talked about traits that are uh, a part of a mountain mover, and one of the things that I lifted up and highlighted for us was knowing what to ask the Lord for, just like the Roman centurion did, yes? And so we ask God, if you want to develop those traits to be a mountain mover, we have to know what it is that we're going to ask the Lord for. So it's true, we all have our mountains in Uh, life uh, for John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. It was her serial relationships tended to be the mountains in her life. And then Matthew chapter 17 that uh, Tom Ledford shared with us, it was a case of demon possession and the disciples couldn't deal with that. How do we deal with this, Lord? Through prayer and fasting. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 8, we discovered with the Roman centurion that his servant was sick. He was unwell. Certainly yet another mountain to be moved. And as Ryland shared with us this morning from John chapter 11, this morning we're sharing together how to move that greatest mountain of all, which is the mountain of death itself. So death is indeed that largest and greatest mountain for us to move. Why? Because death is, as we all know, it is final. We all know this. There's no do-overs, right? There's no uh, take-backs at all. Uh, When we think about uh, that man of superlative popularity at the present moment, Mr. Kim Jong-un, we remember that he ordered the death of his half-brother, Kim Jong-nam. He was accosted in a Chinese airport by two women who smeared VX nerve agent gas all over him, and within 20 minutes, he was dead, never to come back again. Or let us not forget about our friend in Cincinnati and his family, Otto Warmbier, who died in June of last year. And we all know the story of his uh, imprisonment there in North Korea. So as the talks and negotiations get underway, don't forget about the issues of justice that God always keeps before him and which we ought to keep in our prayers. And those two individuals died. There were no take-backs. Or how about little Kyle Plush, yes, who died just a week after Easter on April the 10th. He was pinned down in the back of the SUV, pinned down by a seat. He passed away, a very uh, sad moment for us within Cincinnati, how the, the 911 calls were, were confused, and of course law enforcement is looking into that, how his death occurred. Or perhaps it is the 20-something child of a a former parishioner that I led the funeral for who had died of a drug overdose. Death is final. Yeah? Ever drive through the New London Cemetery that's just up the road from us here at Shandon Church? I know that Earl is there uh, frequently. Well, I've got to tell you, it's one of the most beautiful and peaceful cemeteries that I've ever had a chance to be in. It's lovely. The, the birds and the grass and the, and the trees and the, and the headstones, it's, it's very peaceful and it's, it's very idyllic. And all of the people that are there in, the, in that beautiful surrounding and setting, they're not coming back. Right? They have passed from this life to the next. And so the most radical message of the Gospels is the resurrection. Now, it's not the cross, you see, because people at the time of the writing, the penning of the New Testament, they were crucified by Rome all the time. It was a common penalty that we see for criminals taking place. So uh, crucifixions, it was a common sight that, that people will have seen, yes? There's no doubt we must 
have the cross of Jesus Christ for all that it accomplishes because there can be no salvation outside of the cross of Christ. But the resurrection then makes good on what the cross has done for us. You see, if Jesus would have lain in the grave beyond the third day, where would we all be? We have to have the resurrection. And so sure, the idea and concept of the resurrection, it existed long before Jesus was ever born. Yes, it's... It's in the Hebrew religious uh, tradition, with the exception of the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. We find it in Egyptian and Greek and Roman mythology, the resurrection. And it was woven into the nature stories of the Germans and, and the early Celts. But in the resurrection, and we're still in the season of resurrection, we're only five weeks, believe it or not, after celebrating uh, Easter, there is something amazing that happens within the resurrection of Jesus, you see, because we move from story and myth that is contained in all of those ancient civilizations and cultures like the Romans and the Greeks and the Egyptians from myth, and we move to historical reality. We move from tale to truth. Yes? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, St. Paul testifies that there were 500 witnesses to the resurrection. And so, you know, tales and fables, they are easy to believe. And I remember as a child reading a lot of uh, uh, German tales and, and fables. And to be honest with you, a lot of them scared me half to death, right? Yes? But they're fables and they're tales, yes? And they're kind of easy to believe in, but truth stretches us. Truth confronts us. Truth is not so easy to believe in, yes? Why? Because while stories solely occupy the human imagination, that is, you can believe anything that you want to believe in, truth changes the whole person. Say that with me this morning. Truth changes the whole person. You see, imagination, it's fun for a while, yes, and perhaps is even a frivolous distraction from the stresses of life, but then my imagination is snapped back to reality. You see, I cannot set it to the side in the same way that I can with imagination and myth. You see, truth is palpable. Yes, truth is something that you cannot ignore or sidestep. And so when Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, he was essentially declaring three very, very important things. And the first of which is, he says, I am. Now that is, if you study and look into John's Gospel, it is one of the seven I am sayings of Jesus. This happens to be the fifth one within John's Gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. And there are two more that follow to make it a, a complete set of seven I am sayings. I am is the Old Testament declaration of God's identity. 
What does God say to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 on Mount Sinai when Moses protests to God? Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Well, what what am I supposed to tell them, God? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you will say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name that you shall call me from generation to generation. I am. So for the ancient mind, we've we've got to be able to see the difference here. The ancient mind, gods were rivers, They were mountains, they were rams, they were scorpions, they were falcons, they were trees, they were woods, and so they were even the sun itself. There was always some kind of descriptor to to identify the God. When God did not define himself with any kind of naturalistic or animal equivalent and said, I am, this was not pantheism, That is, God is like in everything that a lot of people want to believe in. You know, God is in everything. This was God's description to himself that I am is beyond anything within creation. The I am is beyond anything that you and I could ever think or prehend or comprehend or understand. I am beyond creation and all the neat little categories that we use to define God. He's beyond all of that. Philippians chapter 2 says, At the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and below the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that is the great I am who was standing there before Martha, yes? And so, as Martha was standing in his presence, just as Moses was once standing in God's presence, the presence of the great I Am, you see, it was God presenting himself to Martha and saying, there's no greater than who I am. And that's hugely important. Because again, we move from just fantasy and fiction and myth which largely can be dismissed or become irrelevant to what is real. So, a few years ago, I don't know if uh, some of you remember this or perhaps you had the chance to uh, go and attend, but a few years ago, uh, Janet, Brittany, and I, um, along with Janet's family, they happened to be visiting from England, and one of our surprises for Janet's family was that we decided to buy tickets to the Paul McCartney concert. So you can imagine Janet's family flying all the way in from England, yes, and we had these surprise tickets. We went to uh, Great American Ballpark for a Paul McCartney concert. I can't remember how old your mother was at the time, maybe up, upper 70s or, or so. So you can imagine uh, Janet's mom probably as a teenager listening to Paul McCartney's music and the Beatles and then kind of Uh, in her later years of life, actually going to see Paul McCartney. Now, the Great American Ballpark, to my knowledge, um, has got 42,000 seats, and it was a sellout, yes. So, um, here's this guy, Sir 
Not just Paul McCartney, but now Sir Paul McCartney. And what a gentleman he is. I mean, it was like two, two and a half hours of wonderful... Did anybody get a chance to go to see him? Okay, maybe next time. Well, I know Elton John's coming to town, so go and see him. I'm not... so, so here's a man, along with other members of the Beatles, who actually created a paradigm shift within our culture, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They were part of the British invasion to America back in the 1960s, and none of us were ever the same again after the Beatles arrived. So here are some of their songs. Hey Jude, do you know that one? Yeah, you know that one. Here Comes the Sun. Here Comes the Sun. I Want to Hold Your Hand. Penny Lane. Doesn't that song just make you feel happy when you hear Penny Lane? My Guitar Gently Weeps. Eleanor Rigby. You know that one? Yes. Or We Can Work It Out. We Can Work It Out. You can hear all the tunes in your mind as I share with you the titles. Now, all these songs are in your imagination. They're in your heart and in your mind. But there's a big difference between playing a... We used to call them records. Yeah, now, I don't know what they're called now. They're ephemeral, you know. I guess they're tracks, right? And being, there's a big difference between listening to a record and then actually being seated before the one who takes up his guitar and says to you, now I'm going to sing for all of you, Blackbird.
God bless him. I just threw that at him yesterday morning. I sent him a text, and he was like, okay, Pastor, I can do that, yeah? Thank you, Ben. You grace me, and I appreciate that, yeah? So big difference between, right, just listening to it, and then actually hearing it performed live, Paul McCartney, yes? So lastly, Jesus invites Martha to embrace something. He does not invite her to embrace an idea or an ideal. He doesn't ask her to embrace an esoteric religious concept or one that you have to pay fees for to move the mountain of the death of her dearly beloved brother Lazarus. And remember John 11.35, which wasn't in our text for today, but it's in John chapter 11. We remember Jesus wept. Yes? That's real. Yes? He invites her, Martha, will you embrace me? Will you embrace me? Not the track, not the tradition, but will you embrace me? And that's how we move Everest. That's how we do it. The biggest mountain in all the world is 29,029 feet. Do you know what the cruising altitude of most uh, jet aircraft is? 30,000 feet. So on a beautiful day like we have today, where the sky is clear, look up. And when you can see the contrails of those jet airliners flying overhead, way up there, and you can just see like the white trail... That's about 30,000 feet. And there is a mountain that is that big. The biggest mountain of them all. So how do we move that? We embrace Him. Yes? And so here's the wonderful thing. You see, when Jesus was standing before Martha, her future was standing before her. Yes? Because for someone to say, I am the resurrection and the life, you see, myth and imagination is oftentimes in the past. That's that's the place where it stirs our imagination. But in that present moment when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, He was presently before her, allowing her to look forward into our future. He doesn't just stand before Martha. He stands before you. He stands before me. He is our future. Yes? And so today, your future is standing right in front of you. And you know His name. His name is Jesus. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Embrace Him. It was as simple for the Roman centurion. He said, Lord, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word. And I know that my servant will be healed. It doesn't matter if your body lies in the ground in a beautiful place like New London Cemetery. It doesn't matter if your body is abandoned to the sea, if it is burned in a fire, or if it rots by the side of the road. The great I Am says, I am the resurrection and the life and whatever mountain, be it Everest, size can be moved. I am the mountain mover, Jesus says to Martha. Do you believe this? Let's pray together. God, we've all got mountains. And some of our mountains, Lord, are the size of Everest.
When we look up at them and we say, there is no way that I could scale that mountain. There's no way that I could get around it. And so, Lord, as we have been celebrating and reflecting throughout the month of April, in your name, in the name of Jesus, we speak to the mountains that are in our lives, whatever they might be, sickness, disease, heartbreak, loneliness, financial worries, job crises. Father, we speak to them in the name of Jesus because we believe that you are the great I am and that you have the power to presently speak into our moments and to give us a future that is found in none other than yourself. And so, Father, we trust that you will give to us the power, dear Jesus, in the name of your blessed Son, to be able to move the mountains that are in our lives. We do so by faith, believing, exercising the same faith that the Roman centurion did. Oh, Lord, just say the word. Just say the word, Lord God, and it will be done. We trust you for that, and I trust you to meet the needs of your people. Together, as one family of faith, we say, Amen.